Geniuses. My name is Jessica Lopez Hermanton, and I am the creator and founder of OT Genius. And you're listening to Pre OT Secrets. On this show, we talk about how to get into occupational therapy school, how to do it in the most financially savvy way. And we also dive into the stories of pre OTs, current OT professionals, and students to learn how they got in and what their experiences were like. And so we're here to inspire, motivate, and encourage you throughout your OT journey and show you how you can be a successful OT school applicant and become the OT that you want to be. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to another episode, OT Geniuses. We have Jason Davies back the one and only from OT Schoolhouse. So if you have not checked out his podcast as well, please go do so and stay till the end if you are wanting to learn more about OT school-based practice and what his day is like. We're going to find out some things that maybe you are not aware of and it'll give you a little more insight. So welcome back, Jason. I guess I will just start off the cuff here and Could you tell us a little bit, what are some of your favorite things about school-based OT? So unlike a lot of people, I actually enjoy the meetings. (laughs) There are a lot of meetings (laughs) as a school-based OT. And I'll tell you why I enjoy the meetings. Because the meetings is the time that you get to collaborate with other professionals. Individual services, I I dig that too. But I'm working one-to-one with a student, maybe a small group with a student. But when I get into what's called an IEP, an independent, an individualized educational program team meeting with, in those meetings, we have the teacher, we have the parent, maybe we have a speech pathologist, maybe a PT, maybe even a BCBA, a behavioral intervention specialist. And I get to work with those people to create a plan. And not only am I going to share with them what they can do, but they're going to share with me what I can do. And then when I go back and work with that student individually, then or in a group, whatever it might be, I'm not just implementing the stuff that I know as an OT, but I'm also implementing everything that the speech therapist has shared with me that I can maybe use to facilitate some speech interaction. And I'm using what the BCBA has given me potentially. I'm using what the teacher has shared with me. And so I really find that part of it important and sometimes overlooked. Collaborating with others is just super important. Aside from that, I also enjoy getting into the classroom to work with a student because if I work with a student one-to-one, there's no guarantee that what I'm doing with a student one-on-one is going to then integrate into the classroom. And so I like to get into the classroom so that I can help the student within their natural setting because that's ultimately where we want them to succeed. It doesn't matter whether or not they can succeed when they're one-on-one with me. We want them to Mm -hmm. succeed once they're in the classroom. So I enjoy getting into the classrooms a little bit. Very, very cool. And what would you say then have been some of the things, because I know that right now you're focusing on OT schoolhouse and I know you're enjoying that you enjoyed school-based, but what are some things that you do not like or wish that would change in school-based practice? Great question. A lot of times in school-based practice, there's a mentality that every student needs one service per week for 30 minutes. And I'll just start it there, the services. I don't like that there's kind of this 
I'm trying to narrow it down. I don't like that there's this just automatic leaning toward one time a week for 30 minutes for services. If this student needs OT, you can almost bet that they're going to get one time a week for 30 minutes, despite there being absolutely no research that one time a week for 30 minutes is mm. effective. Nothing, right? If you look at any of the, just go into the sensory research a little bit. If you look at the sensory integration research, mm -hmm. all of them, all of the sensory integration research is conducted over hours, over weeks. So they might implement sensory integration for two hours a day, five days a week, in order to get the results that they do after 10 weeks or 12 weeks, whatever it might be. Mm. So that's very intense services for a relative short amount of time, 12 weeks or so, versus what I am mostly seen in our IEPs and our programs is one time a week for 30 minutes. It's going to take me like three years to match the number of minutes that they put into that SI research program if I'm only right. doing one time a week for 30 minutes. So I guess we get fixed in our ways and not just as individuals, but as professions, we get fixed in our ways. And OT has gotten fixed into this way of only providing services one time a week for 30 minutes or one time a month for 30 minutes, even as a consult. So trying to get out of that, doing something because it's always been done that way, changing it up and looking at the research, looking at the evidence, and also creating our own evidence through data to support what we think the student really needs. I think that's really, really powerful, especially to for the listeners, just because the majority of my listeners are the future of it. All right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and they have the power to change that. And so, and it starts with one. And I know yep. that you are trying to express and even share on here and in your podcast, some of the, the ways that school base can be better, things that clinicians can do different and things that can be changed just to benefit the people that we're trying to serve and through different CEUs or clinical education units. Or continuing education. <laughs> One of those. One of those. One of those, right? <laughs> continuing <laughs> education. So, but yeah, so I think that that's very, very valid. And I'm glad that you brought that up. And what's interesting, though, is that as a outpatient pediatric clinician, I see the same thing, too. It's just the standard either three times a week for 30 minutes. And it's just you get into this rut. And then you see that, for example, ABA or behavior analysis, they really get some intensive, right? <laughs> they really well, you know how much I could intensive. do? Like, you know how much change I can make with a student if I got four hours 40? a day for five days a week? Exactly. Like, could do so much, but we don't get that. BCBs, yeah. they get it. And then what also gets me as an OT is that this actually just happened, okay? So there's this kiddo that I, me and this other occupational therapist, we see together, right? Like we mm -hmm. alternate the days and whatnot, just based on schedule. And we've been working on this kid just being able to verbalize that he needs to go to the bathroom. All right, like, hey, I gotta go. Because the thing is, as far as like toileting, goes he actually can do it like he has the the skills it's just that if he won't express it and then next thing you know there's been an accident and so we've been working on him just being able to 
either give us some sort of cue, something to let us know. And then the ABA has also, in collaboration, been working on that. Uh, but they see this this child for four hours a day, five days a week. And then the parent comes, oh, yeah, the behavior therapist has done that. And we're like, so have we. But yeah. <laughs> So uh, ABA got the credit. (laughs) It it happens every single setting and it happens in every, I mean, not every IEP, but yeah. And you know what? Part of my role too, as a school-based occupational therapist is letting the parents know what's available, not just within the schools, but also outside the school. Because a lot of parents don't know that they can get services outside of the public education sector. And they Mm. don't know that they can get OT. I have so many parents that come in and in the schools, they're getting OT, they're getting speech, they're getting potentially behavior. And they come in and they tell me, oh, my student gets therapy. I'm like, okay, that doesn't tell me anything. What kind of therapy are we talking about here? And they tell me, oh, yeah, my student gets four hours of behavioral intervention every single day. That's it. Just behavioral intervention. At school, they're getting speech. They're getting OT. They're getting BCBA. They're, getting, they're seeing a psychologist. At home, just BCBA. And they don't even know to ask their their uh, primary physician or their doctor, whoever it might be, like, what else is out there other than BCBA? Like, is there OT? And what can OT do? They don't know. Yeah. Um, so for anyone listening, even if you don't, you just listen to amazing content on this podcast, this episode, all the episodes before, all the other episodes that are going to come after this one. Now you know what OT is, at least. So if you go on to be a doctor, if you go on to be a physical therapist, if you go on to be a psychologist, whatever it might be, just remember what OT is and that we can support <laughs> support other people. <laughs> right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that because I've seen the flip side of that too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I actually had a recent kiddo that the kiddo, he, his main issues are not physical in the sense of coordination balance Uh a lot of these things are actually pretty good and have been improving drastically since he's been coming to our clinic drastic changes it's a lot of executive functioning issues that lead Mm -hmm. to difficulties with especially with academics reading math and the child especially in academics is really behind so the parent and i were talking is this child getting support at the school because there's also only so much that i can do here and there are things that even though I am not in the classroom, I already envision him struggling with certain things just because of what I already know. Yeah. And I'm like, he needs support for X, Y, and Z. And the mom wasn't aware that there could be additional services provided. And if anything, this was also a Spanish speaking mother, single parent. And so she just was not aware of this stuff. And she was at least told that the current OT me could attend the IEP. So even though I'm not even a school-based therapist, I attended the IEP meeting. And um, I so, love that. I love right. That. Isn't that awesome? It was, a, it, was, <laughs> it was, it was great. It was actually my second IEP meeting, but this one, it was actually really meaningful, <laughs> at least that for me awesome. as a clinician, because I was like, yeah, I'm like, because I was fighting for what this kid really needed. And they were dodging like the services they're like mm-hmm. no 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 no. we don't really know if this kid would benefit from it and i had to fight i'm like yeah. no 
I'm like, I see him three times a week and I have noticed that he has issues with visual perception, visual memory, all of these different things that I know are affecting his reading. And it's not why he's getting to where he needs to be academically and an OT can support him in that in the school system that you guys have. So at the very least, get him evaluated. And so I had to, oh my gosh, they were not budging. And I never experienced that. They did not want to provide services. And it wasn't until I had to be very direct about why the kid needed it and should at the very least be evaluated. Go figure the kid got evaluated. Now is getting those services are going to start. And so, but yeah, I I, I love that you did that. In my 10 years of school-based OT, I have seen maybe one meeting where an OT came that uh, was seeing the student outside. However, BCBAs come to IEPs outside BCBAs for a student, come to IEPs all the time. I don't understand it. It baffles me that as holistic as we are, we are so separated. And um, as OTs, I mean, school-based OTs and outside OTs, clinic OTs like yourself, oftentimes we could both be seeing a student and we never talk. We never talk. And that's ridiculous. We should be talking. We should get that release form and we should be talking to each other because what you're doing out there can be helping the student in here or vice versa. And so, yeah, we just need to communicate better. (laughs) Very, very true. Which brings me up to another story. So you see, I I love feeds and it's so funny because you talked to me five years ago and I would tell you, no, I'm not doing feeds. (laughs) Like I've come to love it. Go figure. But now that you mentioned that, yeah, we don't talk. And I think there's a few reasons for that. Not that it justifies it, but when you're in an outpatient clinic and you have your schedule and maybe you have a full pack schedule, like when are you going to, and you're a full timer, like when are you going to attend that meeting when you have all these kids? But the reason why I was able to, to do that was because number one, the parent asked me to. And she was informed. And so, like, I didn't even know, I wasn't aware that I could attend an IEP meeting like that until she told me, you could attend and I want you there. Please attend. And so uh, if you didn't know that and you're a current student or a clinician currently listening, attend IEPs. (laughs) Yeah. And no, I get that. And actually, that is, I don't share this opinion very often because part of me just doesn't think the world is ready for it yet. But I would love to eventually see somehow a program that basically combines outpatient and school-based therapy together. And where that clinician not only sees the student during school, but also after school for more of that individual therapy. And so maybe they're doing some more clinical type of stuff in the afternoon after school and then getting into the classroom during the school day. I would love to see more of that blend of things come For together sure. where insurance and schools can kind of work together. And and it just brings, I would love to see that too. But one of the ways that I was able to find out who my school-based OT was, was because I recognized the name. So I got the report card. Mom was super excited. And she's like, Jessica, check out this kiddo's report card. Look at all these grades. And I'm uh-huh. like, oh, my gosh, great job. High five. And when I look at the report card, wow. it had the that the kid was receiving occupational therapy. And I saw that the occupational therapist name is actually one of my closest friends. I was like, no way. That's it. We are collaborating. I'm talking to you often. And we have, and it's made such a huge difference. 
you know, yeah. because we both know exactly of the same child that we are talking about. Yep. So a lot of times you don't even know who the occupational therapist is in the school-based system if you're seeing them outside. Absolutely. And yeah, the same thing happened to me one time. You know, I was seeing a kid and I knew who was seeing. I just knew the therapist that was seeing the kid outside. I think the parent told me the name. I was like, oh, I know her. And so, yeah. But for anyone listening, you do, if you're going to do that, even if you know the other OT and you can talk about it over drinks after work, whatever, get the release form just to save everyone's behind. Yeah. You know, yeah. You get the release form between the school district and your clinic that you work for or yourself if you're practicing individually just to cover your basis. The last thing you want is the school district to come back and say that you and your other OT are practicing unethically because you don't have a release form. So just do it by the book. True. True. Very, very true. And yeah, I think that that is just really <laughs> important. And to just make sure you have all that stuff figured out before you dive into waters that you may not even think about. So any other things that you want to talk about, like mention to us about school-based, like about your routine, your day? Yeah. So just really briefly, there are... I've talked about most of what goes into a school day for school-based occupational therapists mm -hmm. over the course of this episode and the other episode we recorded together. Um, but to kind of summarize it all up, a lot of it is working directly with a student, whether or not you are seeing them individually as a pullout, they come to your OT room, or you go into the classroom and you, maybe you work with a student or a group of students in the classroom. I like to tell therapists that Sometimes it's more beneficial for me to spend 30 minutes with a teacher than it is to spend 30 minutes with the actual student, because that teacher is going to be with the student six hours a day, every single day. And so if I can get something through to that teacher, then they're going to be able to implement it every single day versus me, as we talked about earlier, maybe I only see the student 30 minutes a week. So I like to talk with the teachers, talked a little bit about IEP meetings that happens once a year, at least for every single student, we have to talk about their goals. We have to talk about where they are in life today. Uh, talk about the type of services that they're receiving or maybe new services that they need. So that's a part of it. Every now and then I do get to meet with other occupational therapists to just kind of go over what's going on in the world of OT and schools. But yeah, it's, it's really revolves around the IEP, what the IEP says, and then implementing services to go based upon that IEP. We do have to do evaluations for students, just like we have to in most places, right? We have to do an initial evaluation, and then every three years is when we have to reevaluate the student. It can be more frequent than three years, mm -hmm. but it has to be at least every three years that we have to reevaluate. But yeah, so that's kind of just the day-to-day -day a little bit, getting into the classroom, supporting the students in the classroom. Yeah, that's what I, I enjoy. How many students it. would you normally see in a day, school-based? So here's the thing. A school day, when you really look at a school day, it's only about five and a half to six hours long. You take out recess, you take out lunchtime, and really you only have about five, five and a half hours. And so if you're seeing, if you're doing it in 30 minute intervals, then you can expect to see somewhere around 10 kids a day. Or if you're doing groups, you know, that could go up. You could have maybe five groups and five individual sessions or something. So that would increase the numbers. For the most case, for the most schools, your caseload, which that's a whole nother topic. We'll go into that another day. Your caseload is about 55 students. However, it could go up to as high as 150 students. And mm. you can imagine how that would impact how frequently you can see 
your students. You can't see as many students if you have 150. You can't see them for as long as you can see the students that the OT that only has 55 students on the caseload. So yeah, that plays a big factor. That's a whole other story. I have an entire course about that um, over at OTSchoolhouse.com. It's called the caseload to workload mm -hmm. transitioning from a caseload model to a workload model. But yeah, so you see a lot of kids. <laughs> you see a lot of kids. <laughs> Most of <laughs> Yeah. And this will be my last question for you as we wrap up. Any, do you think that there's anything specific that students should be doing if they want to get into school-based practice or things that they should be learning and focusing on? I mean, I think it's fairly obvious, but few things would be try to advocate for yourself to get a level one, level two field work in the schools. If your school, if the OT program that you're going into, if they have a specific route for school-based OTs, maybe go into that. You might get a little coursework that's more geared toward what school-based OT might look like. I know some programs have that, others don't. Mm -hmm. Also, when you're looking into programs, don't just look at what the top program in your area is. Look at who has come out of your program or what research has come out of that OT program, because you might find that all the research coming out of the program that you're looking into is all related to mental health and adult physical disabilities. Well, if that's the case, then are they going to have teachers and professors that are really interested in school-based OT if that's the area that you want to? So look at who's teaching at the universities. Are they school-based OTs? Are they whatever area you want to go into? Because you might get a better feel for what you want if you know that they have those people that have been in that, that practice. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it definitely makes sense. Do your research on, on the schools, essentially, and the professors there and find out yeah. what they're doing. I think that's very valid. And I tell my, my students that all the time. I think it's very just faulty thinking to think that just because I go to the most prestigious program in the country, I am going to make a lot of money than other OTs or anything like that. Like that's just far from the truth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure you tell everyone that on the podcast and everyone you interact with that the, the money that you will make means has no correlation in my opinion with the university that you go to. Yeah. And, or, so. and what's most important is like, I've even heard students say things such as, well, I think I'm going to get a better OT school education in general. If I go to a more prestigious university and at the end of the day, what does that really even mean to you? If like, they're not going to lead you into like, a, a, like give you the information and the backup that you're going to need to enter a specific setting that maybe you're wanting to go and the research that goes behind it. And not to mention if you don't feel like you fit in, into that program. Yeah. So, um, and you know, but. just remember that your master's degree, your doctorate, whatever program you're going into, that is just the start of your education. Yeah. In OT, we are required by NBCOT to get 36 units of professional development every three years. So we have to get 36 hours of more education every three years beyond college. So college is just your foundation. Now, once you get out of there, that's when you can pick and choose what courses you want to go into to learn more about your specialty area. So yeah, yeah just get a good baseline knowledge. Thank you so much for 
just that piece of advice. And um, I'm sure it's not the last time that we'll be talking and collaborating in one way or another. So I just, I appreciate you, Jason. And I hope that for the listeners here, this has given you some value and has really given you deep insight into school-based OT practice. I'll see you guys in the next one. Thank you so much for joining me and taking time out of your day to listen. We hope this has been valuable and will get you one step closer to being the occupational therapist you want to be. You can check out all of our resources and social media platforms on otgenius.com. The website again is otgenius.com. If you wish to connect with us, you can do so by booking a consultative call on the website or even find us on Instagram. The handle is at ot.genius and you can there join our monthly newsletter and stay up to date on all the things we are doing to help you succeed. We hope that you have a great day and thank you again for listening.